when I don't feel at my best, it is something that I'm constantly still working with. And that this is where that self-compassion also comes in. And like, you know, I don't even want to necessarily say self-forgiveness because that implies that I did something wrong that needs forgiving. But this idea that like, you know, when especially those of us that have chronic disease, when things are harder, when things are more difficult, it's very easy for us to immediately go into a mindset of like, what did I do to cause this? And that's just not the truth of the matter. There isn't something that we did to cause it. This is part of um, living in the bodies that we live in and um, being loving towards these bodies, even when it feels hard to do, is one of the best things that we can offer ourselves. That was Amy Koretsky, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 191. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me. The podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. It was so much fun to dive deep into the topic of money last month. And this month, we're moving into a new topic, a new theme. We're talking about chronic disease, invisible illness, and healing. Some of you probably already know that I have been unfortunately struggling quite a bit with my own health over the past year, year and a half. And I'm especially grateful for the three guests who are joining me in February to dig into these conversations. I think that you're really going to love them. At least I hope so. We will get to today's guest and that conversation in a minute, but first I want to thank the 400 plus people in our Patreon community, whose contributions of $1 or more per episode are literally what make this entire show possible. So here's the deal. The podcast is and will always be free, of course, but if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, and just feel less alone, I hope that you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your own pledge of $1 or more per episode. Your financial support is what allows me to keep making three new episodes per month, and it pays everyone involved in creating the show. That includes me, as well as my sound engineer, Adam Day, and every single one of my guests. And higher rates are always paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. I know it's not the norm in the podcast industry to pay guests or even to have a listener-funded show, but I honestly believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. And if I personally want to live in a world where people get paid for the work that they do, especially creative work, that means that it's up to me to create that model here at Real Talk Radio. Oh, and there are lots of fun bonuses that you'll get in the community as well. All kinds of exclusive content, first access to live event and retreat tickets, and more. There are actually unique bonuses at each of the different funding levels, like the different funding tiers you can choose from. And so I bet that you'll find a level that's perfect for your budget and for the type of content and community involvement that you would most love. So you can learn more about all that and join us at patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. I can't wait to have you. Okay. Now, let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Amy Koretsky. Amy is a breathwork facilitator and wellness coach for mind, body, and business. Amy believes that the health of our physical and emotional bodies are tied to the health of our businesses, and that when we work in this overlap, we can build businesses that are heart-centered and healing for both the individual and the collective. She uses the breath as a tool for healing in both private and group sessions, and has led in-person breathwork groups all over the U.S., Along with her coaching business, Amy also has a background in acupuncture and Chinese medicine and co-owns Constellation Acupuncture and Healing Arts in downtown Minneapolis. 
In this episode, Amy shares her story with chronic and autoimmune disease, honestly going into detail about what her life looks like now, 10 plus years after diagnosis and initial treatment. We talk about the emotional side of chronic illness, especially what can happen when your identity switches from healthy person to sick person. Amy shares some of the coping tools that have helped her along with the healing modalities she now relies on, including her breathwork practice, which we discuss in detail. Quick content warning that Amy does talk a bit about the subject of sexual trauma in this conversation, although not in any specific detail. I've been working with Amy's style of breathwork for a few months now, and it has been super impactful for me. You can hear me tell some funny stories about that in the conversation. And I also just really appreciate everything that she shared about how healing is never a linear experience, plus her reminders of why and how to practice self-compassion. I can't wait for you to get to know her and learn more through this conversation too. So all that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at realtalkradiopodcast.com. All right, we are rolling. Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I've been excited to interview you since I very first learned about you a few months ago through our mutual friend, Iris. Hi, Iris. And I'm very <laughs> excited that the day has arrived. I'm super excited, too. I think this is going to be great. I had never done any kind of breath work, really, outside of maybe like a yoga class or something until I found <laughs> you and your work. And as we start to get into it more, I am excited. There's a couple of stories of experiences that I have had, like doing your like style of breath work and like following your program that I haven't told you about yet. Like some really wild things that have happened that I saved for this conversation. <laughs> so and I'm actually very, very excited to hear those stories. Cause I know you and I have like worked together in different ways over the last couple months, but we haven't connected in between those times. And so I'm excited to, to hear everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, me too. Um, I guess let's back up a little bit. Tell me, I guess, like set the scene of your real life. Like what's your morning been like? What's your day been like so far? Mm. So I live in Minnesota on um, unceded uh, Dakota Anishinaabe um, land. And my morning is cold because it is cold up here. So it's like, you know, below below zero out. And I have a heating pad on my lap and I'm like cozied up with the dog um, with a cup of tea and really just trying to stay warm and cozy right now. I work for myself, so I'm at home. Um, I do go into the office a couple days a week. I own an acupuncture studio here in Minneapolis. And that's what my morning has been like so far. It's been cozy. It's been warm. It's been a little slow. I knew I was going to be on this conversation with you. And then this evening, um, I have an event and it's kind of one of the regular breathwork events that I do here in town. It's a bit of a larger, longer um, event. And so I try to reserve my energy on those days in the morning because I'm going to be at work until like 930 at night. So this morning's been cozy and calm. Mm, That sounds lovely. I am also in like very cozy mode. It is not as cold here in Central Oregon as I'm sure it is for you. But still, we definitely get proper winter and, you know, plenty of snow. And I am also doing all sorts of cozy things. The friend who I'm living with this winter has like probably the coziest home that I've ever been in, like just the fireplace and the blankets and like the soft pillows. And it is just like an absolute cozy, like twinkle light haven. And it's been really nice. It's that what do they call it? Like Hugo? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You also mentioned before we started recording that you were surprised to feel nervous about this conversation. Will you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's funny because I 
I have my own podcast. Granted, I haven't recorded anything in a while, but like I've recorded, you know, tons of my own podcast episodes. I've been interviewed on other people's podcasts like more times than I can even count. And yet this morning, I was starting to feel a little like jittery in my body and feeling a little ungrounded. And I was like, started to get curious about that. And I was like, put a hand on my heart. I'm like, all right, what's coming up for me right now? And it really came up that I was feeling a little bit nervous about this conversation, which I found so interesting because it's not the first time that you and I have met. You know, it's not the first time I've been, I've talked about my work in this way or shown up in this way. And so it really just gave me a chance to slow down and tune in and get quiet and really get curious as to what was coming up for me. And the things that were coming up were really interesting. There were all of these, like for lack of a better term, like inner children coming up, like wanting to have be heard and have their their worries like listened to and stuff. And one of the things that came up for me was this fear of being judged. You know, like anytime we put ourselves out there in this way and we have people listen to us, especially when we're in a role like this where I know you've even said like, I'm not expecting you to be a capital E expert on this. There's still a little pressure that we put on our when we're getting interviewed to be a bit of an expert on something. And then anytime we put ourselves out there in that way, there's the opportunity for someone to judge us. And so I was just kind of like sitting with that. And then with that kind of realization also came this reminder that like, you know, when people do judge us, it's really less about us and more about us like bringing up something in them for them to get curious about with themselves. I read a quote recently that said something to the effect of like, we can't judge someone else and love ourselves at the same time, which was really powerful powerful for me when I read that. And so then it was like bringing up all this stuff about, you know, even if through our conversation today, I do get judged by other people, then that's an opportunity and a gift for them to get curious about themselves. And it's a gift for me to get curious about myself. And it, I don't know, it just kind of like took me down this whole long journaling, you know, K-hole for lack of a better term. And it was real fun. So that's what came up for me this morning. And so what I ended up doing is um, before I ever do like interviews or even when I record by myself, I like sit down and I pull a tarot card and I light a candle. And so I made like a little altar next to my laptop this morning for our conversation. And I put a little Polaroid of myself when I was like five years old next to the candle. And so I made a little altar to little Amy to um, remind myself that when I do show up and speak up um, and share my stories and share like real honest conversation and vulnerability that I'm not just doing it for current me, but I'm doing it for little me as well. That's so beautiful. <laughs> it's like the nicest image, like tiny Amy, like that photo next to the candle. Oh, I love it. Oh my that. God, Thank I'm you gonna, for sharing. I'm going to send you this photo afterwards. Yes, I'll you are. take a picture but, and show it yes, to you. That's glorious. I mean, there's so much in that that I like feel grateful that you shared, especially this idea that, um, I don't know, I, I sometimes I fall into the trap of uh, like mistakenly thinking that if I've reached a certain level or I've come, you know, so far or whatever, that then that means that I won't have fear or that I won't be nervous. And I just find over and over again that like fear is almost this like cyclical thing. Maybe I'm not scared of the exact same things that I was, you know, when I recorded my first podcast episode, right? Using this as an example, but different fears come up, right? And it's it's just this, I don't know, it's like funny every time I'm like expecting that there isn't gonna be any fear because, you know, 
there always is. It just sort of changes. And, you know, I feel like my coping mechanisms change and, and grow. And like, it sounds like this morning was very like exercising coping mechanisms for you. Like, okay, I'm feeling this. Here are the things that I know that can help me. And yet, you know, the answer for me sometimes is, well, I'm just going to like be afraid and choose to do it anyway. Yeah, it's funny because actually yesterday the newsletters that I sent out to my newsletter people was all about fear. And it was actually fear around a different uh, like um, event that happened to me a couple weeks ago that was more related to my business. And the whole concept of the newsletter was this idea that, you know, the more we try like fighting fear or hiding from fear or overcoming fear or like knocking up against it, the harder it's going to knock up against us and it's going to be bigger and like we're going to feed it actually. And the way to, you know, I don't ever want to use the term like win over fear because it's not like an over or under, it's a walking with, but the way to live with the fear and, and to continue moving through the fear is to like let it walk alongside us. And the idea is that where the fear is, is also where the magic is. And so that was another thing that then like came up for me this morning. It's like, okay, well, I'm feeling all of this nervousness and contraction around that. And, you know, I, I've been doing this work long enough to also know that anytime there's con some contraction around something, there's most likely a part of my body or my spirit that also knows that there's going to be something really beautiful and expansive about whatever I'm walking into. And so it's that contraction that happens before the expansion. So it was also a good reminder of like, oh, this conversation is going to be really powerful, not just for me and not just for Nicole, but for people that get to listen to it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to go back to when you said before um, that prior to recording and that type of stuff that you have, you know, a little ritual that you do. You mentioned pulling a tarot card, that kind of stuff. I have become increasingly interested in celebration and ritual, particularly in small ways, not necessarily celebrating really big things, although, of course, that is deserved as well. But I think that that comes more naturally to me and to a lot of other people. And so I'm, I would love to hear a little bit more about like the the role of ritual in your day-to-day -day life or any specific examples that you have found or found that work well for you, just anything in there that you would like to talk about. <laughs> oh my God, that could be an entire like days long topic. <laughs> um, you know, I, I definitely feel like ritual is a part of my everyday life in a lot of ways. You know, like I mentioned, anytime I get on one of these calls, whether it's an interview like this, or I'm getting on a coaching call with a client, or I'm leading a virtual session of some sort, I give myself some time to sit, to ground. This doesn't have to be like a big to-do. I'm not giving myself like an hour or anything. I'm talking like 15 minutes probably where I sit, maybe meditate for a couple minutes or just like find some deep breathing and some grounding. And then it might look a little different. My, I, the thing I love about ritual is that anything can be a ritual if you put intention behind it. So there's things that we do every day that are like habits, like we brush our teeth and that's a habit because we're taught to brush our teeth for oral health our whole lives. But we do that without really thinking about it. Usually we're like thinking about the weather or what we're going to wear that day or like our to-do list or whatever. But when we do something every day and we put intention and focus behind it, then it turns a habit into a ritual. So for me, the like sitting down and lighting a candle, like that could be really habitual. But because I'm doing it with intention and I'm doing it, I usually will say a little bit of a prayer or um, set an intention or like I said, pull a tarot card and kind of drop in in that way. It brings 
more focus to it and it brings a bit more like weight to the situation and a little more intention in that way. And so, you know, I start my day with ritual. I have a bit of like a morning practice that is really simple. It includes making a pot of tea and reading a book and journaling a bit in the morning. You know, all things that could easily be done on any given day at any given time without much thought, but because there's like an intention behind it, it turns into a bit of a ritual. Um, Anytime I'm treating patients at the acupuncture clinic, like the first thing I do when I get there is I um, take like a singing bowl that I have and I clear the space. I like ring it through the whole space and I do a couple other things. I have an altar there that I light a candle at. So all these little things that are just part of my day-to-day routine, but because I'm doing it intentionally, it turns into ritual. Mm, I love that so much. That reminder that really anything can be ritual because it's just funny the way my, you know, very perfectionist like type A brain is like, okay, well, if I'm going to come up with a ritual, like it has to be a really good one and it has to be the right one. And like, what do other people do? And it's like so funny to watch that kind of like thought patterning happen. And um, so I appreciate the reminders of like simplicity and intention. Oh yeah. I mean, like for me eating a piece of dark chocolate is a ritual. Like that could easily be habit, but like I savor that chocolate. And so that's a ritual to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. So one of the reasons, I mean, obviously I wanted to interview you immediately and anyway, and this would have happened even outside of a themed month, but February is the month where we're talking about chronic disease and invisible illness and healing of different types and sort of the non-linear path of healing. And given your story and experiences, this seemed like absolutely the perfect fit to have you come on during this month. So perhaps the best place to start would be for you to tell me your story with chronic and autoimmune disease. Yeah. So when I was 21 years old. I was just about to finish college. I was an undergraduate student um, at Indiana University, and I was going through a pretty like stressful time. You know, anytime you're finishing a program like that, it's going to be stressful. I was writing an honors thesis. It was very intense in a lot of ways, and I was someone who historically, both growing up in childhood, but also when I was off on my own in college, didn't really take that good care of myself, mostly because I didn't have to. I'd always been quote unquote healthy. And I, so I, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to my body. I didn't really like listen to what my body was telling me or not telling me. So then when I finished college, I went um, on a road trip with one of my best friends and we went down to California and we were kind of making our way through trains and hitchhiking and whatnot from um, San Francisco to LA. And when I was out there, I got really sick. Like, and it, this had been leading up for a while. Like there had definitely been um, signs of it over the course of a couple months. But like I said, I wasn't really listening to my body and there was a lot of things going on in my life. Um, but it kind of came to a head when we were in California. We were far from home. We didn't have like a home base or anything like that. And so um, all of a sudden I realized like, wow, I am really not feeling well. I can barely keep any food in my body. Everything that I eat is bothering me. I'm running to the bathroom all the time. We're literally like, you know, traveling in a city that we're unfamiliar with and I don't have access to bathroom facilities all the time. And that was becoming a very big problem for me. And when at the end of that trip, um, it just so happened that I was like, we were 
flying through Minneapolis to get to Indiana um, because Minneapolis is like a big airport hub. And my mom met me there because I hadn't seen her in a very long time. And she took one look at me and she was like, you're not going back to Indiana. I'm taking you to the hospital right now because, you know, I hadn't seen it happen because I, you know, when you're like going through something slowly, you don't really like see the changes as much. And then when someone Mm -hmm. hasn't seen you for a year, they're like, whoa, what's going on with you? Mm -hmm. You know, my mom took one look at me and I was frail and I was like 90 pounds and I was very obviously sick and she took me basically directly to the hospital and they started running all these tests and it turned into a whole long thing and it took a while for me to get diagnosed but I ended up getting diagnosed with Crohn's disease which is part of irritable bowel disease which is an autoimmune disease of the gut. And um, that started a really long journey for me of living with chronic disease, with finding how to tune into my own body, to listening to my own body, to find the, the paths that I was meant to take to get on a cycle of healing. Um, I fully believe that healing isn't linear. It doesn't, there's not a race. There's not a finish line. There's no end point of when you are quote unquote healed. I feel like it's a continuum. You're always moving on it in different ways. And, and so that's kind of been my journey. This all started in 2004. So it's like been a really long time now. And I'm, you know, in that, in that story, there were times when things were really, really hard and I was hospitalized when I was very close to having surgery, when I was eating nothing but insure like drinks three times a day because that's the only thing that my body could take in. There were also times where I felt actually really good and I was on all sorts of different um, either Western pharmaceuticals or non-Western therapies and my body was doing well. And now I'm at a point um, in my journey where I have ups and downs, but they're a lot a lot smaller. They're not nearly as, the highs aren't nearly as high and the lows aren't nearly as low. And I have found a good middle ground for me. And I am really proud to say that I've been, you know, pharmaceutical free since 2010. Um, I would absolutely say that if any point in time I had a flare that was, that was bad enough that I felt pharmaceutical pharmaceuticals were necessary, I would not hesitate to take them. I don't think that there's anything wrong with being on pharmaceuticals for any sort of disease. Um, I just know that at this point in time, my body doesn't need them and they were causing more side effects than they were causing benefit. And so that was the choice that I made for my body. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now. I currently use like acupuncture, herbs, breath work, you know, lots of lifestyle, mind-body techniques using, you know, listening to what foods my body likes and doesn't like at any given point in time. And those are all the different things that I use to manage my health right now. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to when you said that you had always been like, quote unquote, healthy, right? Like whatever that means, I guess, like an absence of paying that close of attention to your health potentially, right? And then it sounds like, you know, even if this built up over the period of a couple of months, that this was like a pretty you know, hard left turn health-wise for you. And I'm interested to hear about, I don't know if identity shift is the right phrase, but, you know, if you always saw yourself as someone who, oh, like, I'm healthy, I don't have to think about this, I don't have to pay attention to this, you know, potentially even, like, I take this for granted, and then that changed, what was that like on, like, a mental and emotional perspective for you? Oh, yeah, I mean, it absolutely changed. Um, You know, like I said, I was, quote, unquote, healthy, Although in reality, you know, like 
I was a kid. I got sick. I would get sinus infections here and there and have to take antibiotics. You know, some kids get a lot of ear infections. You know, like when you're a kid, things happen and, and you take things and you don't really think about it. But overall, I was um, very able-bodied in a lot of ways. And I didn't have a lot of restrictions on what I was able to do with my physical body. And so then that drastically changed. And that absolutely drastically changed my mental state as well. I definitely saw myself as sick and as weak and as broken in a lot of ways when I was first sick. Um, I'll also say that a lot of times with autoimmune disease, um, one of the first courses of action is taking prednisone. It's like a fake cortisol in your body and cortisol is a stress response. And so when you're taking prednisone, generally people don't sleep well because they have all this cortisol like running through their body, um, which is anti-inflammatory. They can sometimes have all sorts of like wild thoughts. So for me personally, not only did my mental and emotional state change because I went from a more like able-bodied person to a chronically ill person, but I was also taking pharmaceuticals at the time that was really affecting my mood and was affecting my ability to sleep and affecting all of these things. And it was affecting my physical appearance as well in a way that wasn't really great for my mental state. Um, and so there were all sorts of shifts that were happening and it has taken a really long time then for me to move from that story. Cause it is, I feel like something that is really common and that it took me a really long time to realize it myself was that when you are in that state of, and this is for me personally, I don't want to like speak for anyone else's experience, obviously, but I very much held on to almost like this victimhood role. And it was like, even once I got past the point of being super sick and I was, you know, able to do things with my body that I hadn't been able to do in a long time, I almost used the disease as a way to stay safe in terms of like, not have to push myself. Like, cause there was a lot of fear of like, well, if I push myself in this way, what if the Crohn's flares, or if I do this, what if I get sick again? There was a lot of like fear based and like, well, right now, if I don't change anything and I keep things exactly the same, maybe I won't get sick again. Maybe I won't go into the hospital again. Maybe I'll be okay. But there's a lot of unknown with everything and we can't ever control situations like that. And so it was really easy to stay in this mindset or in this like role of, oh, well, I'm sick, so I can't do this. Or, you know, I would use the term a lot like my Crohn's and it's like, it's not mine. I don't own it. You know, it's not like something that I want to even have in possession of. It just is what it is. So it's like the disease. It's not my disease. It's just the disease. And it's taken me a long time to be like, oh, well, I actually get to choose the story that I want to live. I can like choose to continue living the story of being in as a, a, a victim, basically, or being, um, yeah, or I can choose a story that is more empowering, which for me feels more like a survivor story. Like, oh, yeah, I've gone through all these things and I'm still willing to get out here and try this new way of being or I'm willing to see myself in a different light. And that slight shift of like choosing who I am in the story of my life brought on a lot more empowerment and a lot more willingness to try new things and to 
specifically try new things along the lines of like my healing so that I could move to a new place of um, ability in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the stories that we tell ourselves about this kind of stuff are so interesting, right? Like how we identify or don't with what's happening and sort of that balance between like prevention or self-care, whatever you want to call it, and like surrender, right? Because to your point, like we can't control all the things and yet it's not it's not an all or nothing thing because it's easy to say, well, like I can't ultimately control what's going to happen. So therefore I'm going to do nothing. Okay. That's probably not going to result in me feeling very good. <laughs> and yeah. like figuring out where on that spectrum it's in, I, I'm in a really interesting place with this. Like at the time of this recording, I'm going through a lot of testing and like diagnostic process to get to the root of what I suspect are a couple of different kind of chronic invisible illnesses. So it's like a very, I guess, not coincidental timing because I chose this topic, but Mm -hmm. coincidental with my own, you know, like circumstances. And, you know, the more I do research and reading about other people's experiences, this like story element and identity piece comes up a lot. And I notice, um, and and, and this isn't a judgment because if this works for folks, that's fine. Um, Almost like what I, for me, would think of as an overcorrection sometimes with story of Like, you know, I, in order, I don't know, not like necessarily in order to be valuable, but almost this like warrior mentality of like, look at me, like I'm still doing these like incredibly badass things, even though I have this illness. And like, that's awesome if that's what someone wants to do. But it's almost to me feels like, like a proving uh, of some sort of like, well, I have these things. And the only way to be like still considered valuable is if like, in spite of this, like almost like inspiration porn, so almost. And <laughs> I, I don't know, it, it's been interesting. And uh, like you said, when we're triggered by something, it's like mostly always about us that I'm looking at like, okay, I see myself having potentially like the tendency or the inclination to like want to fall into that. Cause I am someone who likes like big goals and big projects and to have to keep like taking a step back and, and realizing like, if I never do any like really, you know, impressive, you know, in like big air quotes thing again, that's also fine. It's, it, it, I don't know if any of this is resonating with you, but it's been interesting to just like see how other people tell their stories within illness and like watching what that's bringing up within me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it always comes back to this idea of self-worth too, because we live in a society that really puts so much worth and value on productivity and on um, like able-bodiedness and like all of these things that aren't necessarily accessible to everyone. And so to really rewire our brain to believe that no matter what we are or are not able to do in any moment in time does not change our worthiness in this world. So like my worthiness is exactly the same now as it was when I was at my sickest. And it's exactly same as the day I was born, <laughs> you know, and it's really hard to like rewire that in our brains, but so necessary. What have you found for you personally to be helpful with exactly what you just described? Oh my God. Uh, repetition for, you yeah. know, like I know that it's so, It's so desirable to like have this one magic ritual or one magic prayer or one magic pill that like all of a sudden changes our entire mindset. But I mean, that's the whole thing with rewiring the brain. Like it really is carving out new neural pathways takes time. Like the first time you do it, you're like, you know, taking a huge knife through a jungle and the next time you do it it's like a slightly smaller knife and you just keep have to do it until it's like barely a weed whacker and then all of a sudden it's like the new paved road and the old road is like all you know grown over with weeds but that takes fucking time you know like i said um it has been 
16 years. Is that right? 2004 is when I got sick. So it's been 16 years since my original flare and diagnosis with this illness. That is a long time to be working through this. And I am not to the point where I am 100% of the time feeling 100% worthy. There are absolutely still times that I have to remind myself and I have to lay down and do breath work and cry it out and let all the tears come through and, you know, text my friends being like, you know, help, SOS, I need support right now. Like, it's 16 years and I'm still working on it. So, you know, anybody who's at maybe the start of this sort of journey, like, you can't rush it. You know, healing takes time and we can't rush that sort of thing. Yeah, the repetition rings really true for me. And then also when you said having people to reach out to with like that SOS, right, um, makes me want to ask you, especially when you were talking before about times of maybe more despair with this, whether it was being hospitalized or when you said, you know, only being able to drink insure three times a day, you know, times where, you know, maybe it was filled with more despair. Were there any other like coping tools that you found really helpful for you or like things that were supportive? Hmm. Yeah, there's been so many and it really varies depending upon like where I was in this timeline. So I'm trying to even like kind of take myself all the way back for a second. So here's what is coming up for me in this moment. In the very, very beginning, I think something that felt supportive for me was knowledge and education. You know, when I was first diagnosed, I was young. I was immature. Most of my friends were immature. There wasn't that relational or emotional maturity to ask for help in the way I needed it or even to receive help in the way I needed it. And I did not have the, I have a tumultuous relationship with my parents in a lot of ways, which, I mean, we can even get into that and how I feel like that relates to the onset of autoimmune disease in my own personal experience. Um, But I I didn't feel like I had the tools and the skill set and the maturity when I was 21 to reach out for help in, in the way that I needed it. And so my, what felt most supportive for me was research. It was learning about Crohn's disease, learning about natural health, learning about all these things, which obviously did support me in a lot of ways because it ended up taking me to where I am, you know, going to acupuncture school and, and learning how to do all these things both for myself and for other people. And then as I got older, the things that felt supportive to me changed. Um, I'm now at a place where the thing that feels most supportive for me is working with my own um, emotional maturity and relational maturity. So showing up in vulnerability with my friends, showing up in vulnerability to myself and my inner child, um, you know, all of those things and being really honest with what my emotions are, not pushing them down, which is something that I did a lot, both as a child and as a young adult, even as a slightly older adult. And so it's changed throughout throughout the years and just honoring what those needs are in that moment. And it's not even necessarily a super um, intentional honoring. It was more just like an intuitive honoring, I think, for me. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that reminder that we need different things at different times and in different situations. Like, even as I say that, it's like, well, duh. And sometimes, you know, especially when I'm in a period of really not being well, it's easy for me to project forward and say, oh my gosh, you know, I feel so awful right now. I'm going to feel awful forever. I'm going to need all this support. I'm going to be a burden, right? Some of those like really nasty inner like (laughs) conversations that we can have with ourselves. And that a reminder of, I, I have seen this again and again in my life that I don't need the exact same thing every time. Like sometimes there are periods of time of like needing more support and in the different ways that that looks. And then sometimes it's not. And then my, you know, cup is more full and and more able to offer support to other people. And I just feel like I need to keep reminding myself no matter what end of the spectrum that I'm at, that it's all sort of just like this, not necessarily cyclical. It's not like you always have to come back to the worst you've ever felt, (laughs) but that, that it's again, like you mentioned nonlinear, right? That it's, it, it always just, it's like this ebb and flow and sometimes I feel this way and sometimes I need this and then other times I don't. And if I can just relax around that a little bit, I find that to be really helpful. I know it's all about self-compassion with that, which is something that I'm still working with and that I work a lot with my clients on because we aren't really taught self-compassion as like children very often, you know, so often, especially like when we're little kids and then someone comes up and they're like, oh, like pat us on the back. They're like, you're okay. It's going to be okay. Instead of actually being like, I see that you're hurt, you know, like let me witness you and hold you in it instead of wanting it to like just go away or like whitewash it or anything like that, you know? And so really being able to um, sit with the discomfort of things. I mean, that's the biggest gift that breath work has given me over the years and that has been so impactful for my life is just being able to like sit with the discomfort of the things because even even quote unquote positive things like receiving support from other people or like you know having our needs met in different ways like that can actually be uncomfortable too especially if we're not used to it and it hasn't been like modeled for us in that way before and so just really leaning into that discomfort and being compassionate with ourselves throughout the whole process yeah this might be a really strange question but will you like for yourself define like what you mean when you say self-compassion because i feel i feel like recently i've been more and more interested in like what when we talk about like self-care or self-love or self-compassion or these things they are like thrown around so much that they can just be like words, right? Or phrases mm-hmm. and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's something that I need. And mm-hmm. then there seems at least for me sometimes to be a disconnect between like believing that that sounds nice and that that's something that I should do. And then actually what that looks like. So any insight you can give into just like for yourself, what self- self-compassion looks like would be awesome. Yes, absolutely. So I think a little bit like what I shared about my practice this morning when I noticed that I was feeling anxious. That's like an example of how I show up for myself in self-compassion. So instead of what I maybe like even four or five years would have done, would have been like, I noticed myself feeling anxious and then would have been like, you know, there's no reason to be anxious. You've done this sort of thing before and been like, cheerleading myself you know when you're like cheerleading yourself like it sounds good but it's not actually acknowledging the truth of the moment because the truth of the moment is that I'm nervous and so the most compassionate thing that I can do for myself in that moment is to acknowledge the nervousness acknowledge that anxiety and to affirm that it's absolutely okay to be there that to affirm that like by being present, that doesn't mean that I can't still go ahead and do the interview. So when I'm giving myself some self-compassion, I'm trying to, you know, get quiet, 
tune in. I generally place a hand on my heart. Actually, like half of this interview has been like me kind of like taking one of my fingers and just like rubbing my sternum a little bit, like just kind of opening up that area as I like talk about all these things. I just feel my body wanting to like close up a lot. And so this helps me just be present with what's in my heart and like opening up. And so just being like, okay, you know, whatever is coming up for me right now is valid. And it doesn't change my um, ability as a person. It doesn't change my humanity, my worthiness, anything like that. And just being present with it and, you know, saying you're still okay. You are valid. You're worthy. Um, You know, all of those things. So that's for me, self-compassion, just really being present with the moment and being affirming and validating with whatever experience or emotion is coming up for me in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. You mentioned that finding and practicing breath work helped you to become more open to exactly what you just described. I'd love to hear this story about when you found breath work and kind of what happened from there. I originally had heard of breath work. I mean, in some ways, we're all somewhat familiar with breath work, any sort of like deep breathing exercise that you've um, been invited into any time that you're feeling a little bit of panic or when you've been in like a yoga class and you connect your movement to your breath. Like those are all different types of breath work. The specific style of breath work that I practice, I found it through another acupuncturist who was living out in New York. Her name is Erin Telford. I was familiar, familiar with her just as being another acupuncturist online and whatnot. And I knew she was offering breath work and she was doing her first online class. So I was like, well, I'm curious what she's doing. I want to try this out. And so I signed up for it. It was kind of like a 90 minute group offering on Zoom. And I laid down, I started doing the breath in the manner that she was explaining to us. Um, And a couple minutes in, I started feeling energy in my body And I was like, okay, I'm used to feeling energy in my body. You know, I'm an acupuncturist. I I do Reiki. I do all these different energy modalities. That feels a little normal. And then then the energy got stronger. And then it got stronger. And it was starting to get to the point where I was like, whoa, I have never felt energy like this in my body before. And then it started moving through my body in very specific places that correlated to specific acupuncture channels in the body. So in acupuncture, the energy moves through these like, you know, roads through the body, um, these meridians. And I was like, whoa, this energy is like moving through the heart meridian. And she keeps talking about us opening our hearts. And I was like, that's so interesting. Like I can really like feel it along that energy meridian and like moving into my heart. And it was so intense, like very physically intense. And then I felt... Like for, I felt creatively inspired, I guess you could say. It was like my intuition was opening up in this new and different way. And I was getting so excited, both like kind of physically excited with all this energy, but also creatively and spiritually and emotionally excited that I couldn't even finish the practice. Like she was still having leading people through the practice when I had to end up just like sitting up on my bed, grabbing my notebook and was just like vigorously writing all this stuff and kind of writing what I was seeing and what I was feeling and all these downloads that I got, which, you know, surprise, surprise, ended up like one of the visions that I ended up getting ended up coming true, like 
I think about a year or so later, like it actually came to fruition, which was really, really cool to see. But so it was really um, inspiring for me and it opened up all this stuff. And um, so that was my very first experience. So it was a little bit different than a lot of other people's first experiences because one of the main things that this work does is actually open up more of our emotional body. And for me personally, because my own emotional body had been so kind of like put under lock and key for so many years, it took me personally several more sessions of breath work to feel safe enough in my body to allow those emotions to come up to the surface and actually be seen and be witnessed. Now that I've been doing this work for years and years, it's something that happens quite easily and naturally for me. But um, so for me personally, it really opened up my creative and intuitive channel first and then um, ended up working into more of the physical body and the emotional body. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you do this the first time you have this like pretty intense experience that maybe was, you know, different than what you were expecting. And so you left that session. And then what you were like, this is awesome. I want to do this more. I want to learn this. I'm always interested, like after someone has a first experience, what the trajectory looks like at, from there. Oh, yeah, I like literally emailed Aaron the next day and was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and, you know, like, Yeah, I was like, well, acupuncturist to acupuncturist, like, tell me everything. Because also that, you know, inquisitive educational part of my brain wanted to like understand why I was feeling things in the way I was. And she was just like, well, if you are interested in knowing more, like, here's my teacher, here's who you can train with. Um, This is the path that I took. You know, I encourage you if you're serious about wanting to know more about this and to like bring this to your clients, because that's part of what I'd said in the email. I was like, I need to bring this to my clients. This is amazing. She was like, here's here's how you would do that. Here's how to like honor that lineage and whatnot. Um, and so I signed up for the level one training pretty soon after that. I think I think my first experience with her was like in the winter time. And then I signed up for the level one training that was in September. So I um, continued practicing with her and her like online groups that she was doing um, every couple of months or so for those like six months. And then um, in the fall, I went and did my level one. And then over the course of of a couple months, I did um, the first three levels of the training. And then several months later, I did the fourth level. And in that time, I'd start bringing it to my clients at the acupuncture clinic and then started with work- working with people all over the world. Um, and now this is like what I do for most of my job. Isn't that funny how something that you'd never done before, I mean, I guess this is true for all of us for anything, but how a thing that you like had no like experience in or you hadn't done it before comes across your path and then all of a sudden it's like possible to make this pivot and go in a different direction. I find like stories like that and reminders like that to be very encouraging and empowering because it's so easy to get stuck in thinking like, well, you know, I studied this in school or I'm on the career track to do this thing or, you know, my hobbies are X, Y, and Z and to kind of feel like, well, that's it and to like fall out of that growth mindset. And I, I always love hearing when someone's like, and then I learned this new thing and I just decided to do it. And not to say that obviously I'm sure there were like hard parts along the way and ups and downs, but I always love that reminder that we can learn a new skill. Like you can retrain, you can do something different. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and also I'm someone that (laughs) I'm still working through a lot of the you know, old stories and limiting beliefs that I have around the fact that like, you know, here's this thing that I am so passionate about and it's been so powerful for me and has been so powerful for the people I've brought it to. And yet, because I spent so many years of my life and so much money on acupuncture school, like getting my master's degree in Chinese medicine, there's a lot of like guilt that I still hold on to like 
be to being like, well, I still have to do this. Like I have to still be an acupuncturist in some way because I put all this time, energy, and money in it. And I love acupuncture. Don't get me wrong. Like absolutely still my first love when it comes to like complementary medicine. And also I feel like I can accomplish in one session with breath work what it can take me six months of doing with needles sometimes. And that's powerful and so to not like honor that would be not honoring myself yeah will you talk a little bit about how you think that breath work and you know acupuncture and Chinese medicine work together in the way that you practice them yeah so you know the main intention with breath work is to move stuck energy and move stuck emotions in the body and a lot of times what we're doing with needles is also moving stuck energy in the body and emotions are a form of energy you know with acupuncture we're not just moving all the time we're also um, what we call like tonifying or like supporting people's energy as well so some people don't actually have enough chi or energy in their body to circulate in the way that it's meant to so you actually have to before you even move something you have to like tonify it and that's where food and herbs and um, meditation such as like qigong and tai chi and stuff can be really powerful in supporting that energy so that it can then circulate whereas with breath work we're really kind of supporting the energy with the breath because it when you do the breath work yeah it's moving the energy but you're also like you literally feel a lot of energy in your body and it's kind of this like reclamation or like reawakening to all the energy that we do have inside of us all the time so you know when I'm working with clients in the acupuncture clinic if someone's really deficient or depleted sometimes we'll start with herbs with food with gentle needling like that and then when they have a little bit more energy or chi in their body then we can incorporate a little bit more breath work to circulate it and move it in the way that it needs to Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if this is going to translate as well over audio as it does over video, but can you describe like the actual breathwork style? So there's no like trademarked name for this style of breathwork. Uh, my teacher, his name is David Elliott. He believes that, you know, the breath is ancient. It is. Most, um, most breath practices come from um India and like East Asia and they they are very ancient. This this specific pattern um, that he practices and he teaches uh, doesn't have a name. It's not a pattern that is you know traditionally taught in like yoga practices or anything like that. So he just calls it breath work. That being said, it can be very similar to what some people are maybe familiar with um, as holotropic breath work, which was created by um, some psychotherapists in the 70s, I want to say. I don't remember the date exactly. But so that is, that's a style of breath work that these um, psychotherapists created after their experimentation with LSD was like no longer legal after the 60s. And what this breath practice does is it creates a non-ordinary state of consciousness so that we can get out of the brain and back into the body and allow the body to do the healing that it already knows how to do innately and that so often our brain kind of gets in the way of. So the way that you practice um, this breath Please don't try this if you are driving right now, um, so you can try this later. And if you are at home or somewhere um, safe and you know secure, you're welcome to lay down and try this, but you'd want to lay down and then you breathe in and out through your mouth, and it's a three-part breath, so you're going to inhale first into the belly, and then the heart, and then you let it go with an exhale. So you breathe into the belly, and then the heart, 
and then you let it go. So you're taking in two inhales before you let out the exhale. It's all in and out through your mouth. Um, so that first breath is in the belly. The second breath is up into the heart and then you let it go. So it's as simple as that. Yeah. So my first experience of doing this was I signed up for the free email series, like the free email class that you have on your website that I will link to um, in the show notes. And it's it's funny when something comes into your life that's outside of the norm of how you usually operate. For example, I traditionally am not someone who like really does people's free offerings. Like I just, I don't know, I think as like a recovering, I used to download all the PDFs and all the things for so many years that all just like sat in a file on my desktop and made me feel guilty of what's wrong with you that you're not doing all these like things that you downloaded, which is like, of course, just I like feel a, you. That is right? real. <laughs> it's just like a me problem, I guess. Maybe not. Sounds like you can relate to it. But, you know, so for a long time, I basically just like stopped. I stopped opting into that kind of stuff. I, st- you know, I, I hit what I think of as like a you know, self-improvement, self-development, like saturation point personally. And, um, you know, put that kind of thing down for years. And this podcast was really like born out of that, like, Hey, let's like stop trying to fix each other and fix ourselves. And again, that was potentially an overcorrection because of course I'm, of course I'm someone who believes in growth, right. And healing and all of that. And so I feel like I've, you know, started opening up to it more in the last like year, year and a half. And so when I signed up for your course, I, I, at this point, my like agreement with myself is that I'm not going to sign up for anything that's going to become like a guilt tool or something that I like weaponize against myself. And I'm like, if I'm going to sign up for this, I'm actually going to do it. Right. So it's like that moment of checking in of, does this feel like something I really want to do? Do I have the capacity to commit to this? And like, only then will I sign up for it. So I signed up for it. The first email comes right where you explain the breath work and the playlist and everything. And I said, okay, like I'm going to lay down, I'm going to give this a shot. And so I did. And within maybe two minutes, although potentially sooner, I was like sobbing, which that's not usually my move. I'm not really a big crier for the most part. And it was like this really intense reaction. I felt all kinds of crazy things like in my hands and I was really cold and I just couldn't stop crying. (laughs) I didn't even make it through the whole thing. I just sat up and was like, what the fuck is this? I think I emailed you right away. Like, hello, (laughs) I has questions basically. (laughs) And it was just, and I know that that's, you know, my intense experience is not everyone's experience. And, um, but for me, I was like, okay, there's something here where this is like a good fit for me because I had never dropped into something that quickly where I was like just, you know, releasing all of this emotion right away. And I'm like, okay, whatever's happening here, I would like to know more about, please. Hell yes. So wait, I want to know what happened after that then. Yeah. So it was funny of the, uh, I guess like the five first initial sessions um, of the, like that free class, I would say I had that first really intense experience. And the next experience I felt mostly nothing or I didn't feel anything as intense. And I had this interesting reflection moment of if that would have been my first experience, I might not have continued doing it because I would have just felt like, oh, okay. You know, especially doing it on my own, like not having like, you know, you there to like, hey, is this normal that I'm not really feeling anything? And it's a shorter, like those part of what that class is, is much like shorter because I'm not there to support people. And if it was a longer one without me being there, there might be more opportunities for people to be like, whoa, I didn't like that. Or whoa, that was like really intense for me personally. Yeah, exactly. And so I had kind of, you know, it wasn't 
um, unenjoyable by any means, but it didn't feel as dramatic as the first time. And um, that was true the second time. And then deeper in, I think it was like the fourth time, this this is the story that I was saving to share with you, that I was like, oh, okay. And after this was when I was like, I need to hire her. And, you know, you've since taught virtual workshops at a couple of my retreats, which have been wonderful and so appreciated. But the turning point for me um, with that, I think it was day four, I was doing the breath work in the morning before I got out of bed. And that morning, I had had penetrative sex before doing the breath work. And so, you know, had sex, didn't get out of bed yet, decided, okay, I'm going to like do this breath work. And I, I don't even know how to describe this to you without sounding like kind of unhinged, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I'm sure you've heard this or weirder. It within like, I don't know, halfway through the first you know, song of the playlist that I was breathing through, I started to feel this like vibrating energy that was as if someone had taken like a vibrating egg and like basically stuck it up my vagina. And it was, yeah. the, the vibration was so intense that it was like, I, I stopped the breathing. I like clamped my hands down, like hands over the crotch, clamped down and was just like, what is happening to me right now? And it was just this like intense, like literally felt like a vibrator on high power. And it, took, I don't know, a couple minutes for it to stop. And I just laid there like, uh, something has happened to my body. And and I don't know, it it wasn't, it was neither like pleasurable nor not pleasurable, but I had never felt any kind of just like energy of that level. And I don't know. So if you have any thoughts on that, I'm open to it. But that was my experience. You were absolutely like waking up the energy in that area. You know, when we're doing the breath, we're Um, For people who are familiar with like the term chakras or like energy centers in that way, you know, we have, you know, one at the root, which is kind of at the base. There's one that's at the um, like sacral. So kind of around the sexual organs. There's the solar plexus that's like kind of above the above the belly button. There's the heart. There's the throat. And those are the ones that we're primarily working with with breath work because that first breath, we're really into that like you know, solar plexus and sacral um, energy centers. And that's where we hold a lot of energy and where people also hold a lot of trauma. So it can be a variety of things. Generally, you know, we all use the term like we have a gut feeling about something. Like we actually hold feelings in our guts. And oftentimes we push feelings down into our guts, maybe through drinking alcohol or through eating food or through consuming media or social media or different things. We like keep consuming things and like pushing our feelings down into our bellies. Also, if someone has experienced any sort of like sexual trauma at all, there's going to be trauma held in that part of the body as well. And when we're breathing, we are starting to move some of that energy and kind of give it a escape route or giving it place to be released and no longer held in the cells of our physical body. And so we can feel all sorts of different sensations in any part of our body, but especially in our bellies and our um, sexual organs, things like that. I've worked with lots of people before who have experienced trauma and like sexual trauma as well in that area. And, you know, one thing that I've heard on multiple occasions is that 
people have oftentimes disassociated from their bodies over the course of years. And after doing breath work, they're able to connect with parts of their body that they hadn't been able to connect with before. And that can feel very um, healing. It can also feel very intense in the beginning. And so if uh, you are someone who wants to try this work, but have moved through a lot of your own personal traumas, I highly recommend doing this work like one-on-one with a trained uh, facilitator first, because it can be a lot to move through that in your body. However, it can be incredibly, it can be incredibly healing to open up that energy. And also that part of like rewiring our brains and our bodies to not like self-betray during difficult times, because as we move through some of this energy, it might feel really difficult. And there might be a lot of emotion that comes up or old memories that come up and to not self-betray and to stay with ourselves and to tend to ourselves and our hearts during these times is a huge um, act of tenderness and self-compassion that we can bring to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, I mean, I feel like something, and you didn't use these words exactly, but that you're touching on is just the process of like being able to drop into your body more and like trust I don't know, like maybe the intelligence or the wisdom of yourself and your own body over necessarily like the judgments of others or like outside opinions or even kind of what our ego brains think, which is something that if I'm being honest, I struggle with a lot. I have no problem living my entire life from like the shoulders up, right? Like neck up and thinking, 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 thinking. And it has traditionally been really difficult for me to feel like I'm actually embodied. That's a word that's come up for me a lot in the last couple of years. And it sounds from what you've said in your story that maybe that used to be true for you, but also I don't want to project onto you if that doesn't feel accurate. Oh, no, that's 100% accurate. You know, one story that I will share that you might, I might have shared it with you personally before, but I will share it here for the podcast. But so I, because of my history with Crohn's and with my history with digestive diseases, um, the first handful, maybe more than a handful of times that I did breath, breath work, um, I felt all this tingling in my hands, kind of like that vibration feeling that you were just explaining. I would feel it most often in my hands, in my mouth, face, stuff like that. Um, whereas, you know, clients, they would say that they would, you know, feel it in their sexual organs or in their feet or like all their bellies, like wherever in their body. But for me, it was only in my hands, my face. And then the first time that I started feeling, really the first time that tears actually showed up for me in breath work was the same time that I started to feel some of this vibration slowly work itself down my neck and then down my chest and then into my upper belly, and then into like my belly, belly. And in that moment, I had this deep inner knowing that all of the blockage, all of the like actual physical trauma that my large intestine had been through, all of the emotional guarding that I had put up around that area was like starting, like the walls were starting to finally come down and the breath was able to penetrate some of those areas and to open some of that up and soften some of that. And in that knowing, just tears just showed up and it was just like waterworks and just so many tears because there was this real moment of grief for myself and for my body, but also joy and love for the power of my body and like the capability and self-healing that my body had inside of it and gratitude for myself for like 
finding this practice and sticking with this practice, even when it didn't always feel comfortable, to allow this opening to occur. And so that, I think that's an example of like how this work really allows you to get back into your body. Um, so hopefully that was supportive. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, like if there was one magical answer for this, right? Like <laughs> you would be a billionaire oh, if yeah. you had that answer, you know, of like, here's how to, you know, surrender and get into your body. Right. I mean, this is the right answer for me, which is why I'm like so passionate about it and why I do it. But it doesn't mean that it's the right answer for everyone, of course. Yeah. Well, and even I think what I like meant jokingly and saying right answer, meaning like there isn't a like one fixed answer, right? Like this can be a supportive thing, but it's a thing you have to keep coming back to over and over. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I'm interested, uh, going back uh, again to this idea of like there not being a finish line of healing, especially as someone, like obviously you have tried a bunch of different things, found some stuff that works for you, found some stuff that doesn't work as well. And, you know, like you work in like various healing professions. I'm interested what that experience is like if what am I trying to say? I feel like it's a really easy narrative to have like a before and after, right? That it's like, I used to be X and now because I do this, this, and this, like, ta-da, all better, right? Here's the problem with that thinking though is like, because if you have this idea of like, well, before I was sick and now I'm healthy, then inevitably when something happens, because, you know, we can't control situations and flares happen or um, things happen, then that sort of either or thinking immediately makes us believe that like we did something wrong to then cause this to happen. And so that's where I really, where I've done a lot of like work myself is like, you know, I am pharmaceutical free. And also I still struggle from time to time. There are foods that either I thought my body liked and no longer likes anymore and I have problems or there's foods that I know my body doesn't like and I choose to eat them anyways sometimes. And so then when when I don't feel at my best, it is something that I'm constantly still working with and that, this is where that self-compassion also comes in and like – You know, I don't even want to necessarily say self-forgiveness because that implies that I did something wrong that needs forgiving. But this idea that like, you know, when, especially those of us that have chronic disease, when things are harder, when things are more difficult, it's very easy for us to immediately go into a mindset of like, what did I do to cause this? And that's just not the truth of the matter. There isn't something that we did to cause it. This is part of living in the bodies that we live in and um, being loving towards these bodies, even when it feels hard to do, is one of the best things that we can offer ourselves. Mm. Yeah, that just this idea of not blaming yourself, I feel, is like very powerful, especially in the narrative in like, I don't even want to say like wellness culture, maybe like wellness industry culture, right? Totally. Of that this myth that you have complete control over your own health. Like if only you had eaten more kale, right? <laughs> and like done more yoga, which isn't to say that like yoga and kale can't be awesome. Obviously, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But that- But it's a complete it's, myth. It's, this, it's total bullshit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's in, in this idea that like the factors that contribute to health, like I feel like so many of them we don't even understand. So many of them are like bigger than just individual decisions, right? There's like so much structural stuff and like systemic stuff at play. And this, I feel like that is a constant reminder for me as someone who likes to be like 
thought of as good like the good girl totally. right like does well, things and, right and also you kind know? of like what i was talking about in the beginning where like i felt anxiety in this morning and part of how i moved through that was the reminder that like oh that is the contraction that is occurring before this like expansive beautiful conversation i'm about to have and so that same sort of thing actually i see this happening a lot like in my acupuncture practice that someone will go through um a highly symptomatic period in their in their disease before a big healing occurs. Um, it's really common, you know, for people that have tick-borne illness or like Lyme um, to have like a Herx reaction. You know, th- these sorts of things are actually really normal because it is sick, like it is spiralic and non- non-linear in that way, and it's not. Um, it doesn't always mean a bad thing. Yes, it might not be comfortable, but it doesn't actually mean that we are bad or we did something bad or that it has anything to do with us at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm interested. You mentioned before that, you know, with food, for example, like there's some foods that you know you're probably not going to feel great if you eat them and you choose to do it anyway. I'm interested in how you balance like chronic illness with still doing things that you enjoy, even if those things like might make you feel ill, because I feel like there's like potentially like there's a they're at odds a little bit right there. Or they can be. And I think that that is a really common struggle that I wonder if you can talk about. Yeah, I mean, I'll be totally honest here and say that usually when that sort of thing happens, I'm not saying this with any sort of self-judgment. It's just honesty is that oftentimes I do that out of um, a self-sabotage. And it's not even like an intentional self-sabotage. That's that ego self-sabotage where my brain is like, you know, things are going too good and we need to take you down a notch to back where like you're, where the ego feels comfortable. And so, you know, not to, you know, not to go back to this thing that we just talked about where it's like, yeah, even though I, I'm doing this intentionally and I'm not going to feel well afterwards, I usually am able to recenter like oftentimes, um, for those of you that are familiar with tarot at all, like I'll pull the five of swords and it's like, oh yeah, this is a reminder that I'm, um, like my brain was really getting wild and it's trying to pull me back into its own comfort zone. And so, um, that's, that's usually what happens for me because, um, the things that my body does not like, um, are things that my brain really does sometimes. (laughs) Interesting. It's funny. I wasn't even thinking about it from like potentially like a self-destructive like mindset. So I'm glad that you brought that up because I can totally see how that's relevant. I think it was more a selfish question. And again, like I'm at like a very acute period of kind of evaluating and doing these like very intense elimination diets that are no fun. Right. Mm -hmm. And for me, I feel like some of my like, uh, you know, forward projection in my brain is like, well, if it really turns out that like, this is the way that I need to eat to not like feel badly, like, oh my God, I'm never going to like be able to go to a friend's house for dinner. I'm never gonna be able to eat out again. Like what's going to happen to long distance hiking. And I've done a pretty good job of like reining that in of like, I'm just in this initial phase, right? Like you'll see. And so I feel emotionally like mostly fine with it. But, you know, in talking to other friends that have, you know, various forms of chronic illness and, you know, once you've identified like this thing doesn't make me feel great, sort of the, the back and forth and there isn't ever one easy the answer of when do you decide that the trade-off is worth it? And obviously that's different for different people, but I think that is like a part of all of this that isn't talked about that, you know, maybe it is easier to feel better if you sort of like exist in a vacuum, right? Where it's like, well, if I like stay in my house and only eat these things and only do X, Y, and Z, and yet that can oh, totally. be lonely. I mean, there's also like, it's not like feeling good. It's like, 
oh, do you mean feeling good emotionally or physically or spiritually? Right. It's not necessarily like feeling good in one is obviously going to make you feel good in the other one. And so sometimes it's like, yeah, what my emotions really want right now is this thing that I know might not feel the best for my body. And I might make that choice to do it anyway. Um, it doesn't happen like a lot for me, partly because uh, it has been so much time has passed. So for me, a lot of the dietary changes that I've made that have been most supportive for me have been in place for over a decade now. So some of that mm -hmm. is just like time has passed. And so I don't crave coffee anymore. Like I worked at coffee shops since I was like 15 years old. And so coffee was something that I loved with a passion. Um, and coffee was one of the things that my body disliked the most. And not everyone that has Crohn's disease like can't drink coffee. It's just that like my body can't drink coffee. And so um, that took a, a really long time. And there was a big grief process around letting go of that. Um, however, it's been over a decade now. So it doesn't bother me emotionally nearly as much as it used to. Yeah. But I appreciate the reminder of the grief too, right? Like I think sometimes, especially with things like, you know, food, or maybe it's like certain activities, it's easy to going back to like, you know, cheerleading yourself, right? Um, that you were saying before, either cheerleading or like almost like too much tough love of like, it's just coffee. Like what's wrong with you? Do you care about this? Right? Like, I think it's easy to fall into that like place and to remember that if there is a thing, even if it's, you know, like a small, you know, thing, whether it's like coffee or, you know, running or whatever to, if it's something that you loved or that was a big part of your life and, you know, you're choosing for it to not be anymore, that there can be grief and that that is valid and needs to be honored. Absolutely. I think that's part of that self-compassion that we talked about too, just really honoring whatever feeling is coming up no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. How do you approach working in a healing profession as someone who, as you have said, like isn't fully healed, whatever that means? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, very oh, – this whole conversation just could be like self-compassion as the theme because really just like compassionately. And I know that I keep saying this over and over and I probably sound like a broken record, but you know, I, a question that I have asked myself before and a question that I actually get asked a lot by some of my clients, um, especially those who are like their own business owners is like, how do I, you know, run my business in alignment with myself when my body is so inconsistent and my health is so inconsistent. And that can bring up a lot of feelings and a lot of um, possible guilt or shame for people. And it has for me as well before as someone who's also like a recovering people pleaser and a recovering perfectionist, you know, it was really hard for me in the beginning beginning of like kind of finding this path for myself um, to sometimes have to cancel on people, have to like cancel clients or cancel events if I was having a really hard physical body day or, or something like that. And, you know, this is something that I've kind of learned from my own friend and teacher, Lindsay Mack, who I know has been on your podcast before, but this idea of like when we are running like spirit led businesses, it's about always just checking in and making sure that whatever we're doing, whether it's for our business or for our life or whatever, is just in alignment with us in that moment. And sometimes it is in alignment to like 
work through the pain or work through the situation that we're in and in our bodies and in our health in that moment. And sometimes it's not. And when things aren't in alignment and we actually like check in with ourselves and check in with spirit and actually get a no, like a real solid no answer, we have to trust that that no isn't just for our best and highest good, but it's actually for the best and highest of anyone else that we are supposed to be in relationship with or like in, you know, working relationship with in that moment that we're having to say no to that commitment and really being with whatever feelings come up because it might feel guilty and it might feel, you know, selfish and stuff like that, but just really trusting that the no was there for a reason and being compassionate with ourselves through that. And also remembering that like when we do do things like that, it's a way of like modeling like radical self-care and like radical vulnerability and truthfulness um, to our clients who maybe haven't had that modeled to them before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. How do you personally think about or navigate when it comes to vulnerability or how much you share as, you know, like a, a business owner and, you know, kind of the personal brand aspect of it, especially with this type of stuff, like where it's health or like times of limited capacity for any reason. I'm always interested in how, and it sounds like, you know, clients of yours also are coming to you at the same question of, um, how do you decide like what you're going to share or what you're not going to share? It's kind of just what feels right in my body in the moment. And I will say that I do have a tendency to lean on the more like sharing vulnerable side partly because I think that that's where we can take down walls between each other instead of put them up and I think that's what I think that's the beauty and the gift of like vulnerability is like taking down walls and actually having like true conversation and true relationship and um, strengthening relationships and you know both as someone that's a business owner with actual like employees Um, It's important to me to have like radical honesty and vulnerability um, in all parts of our business. So like our employees know things about our finances and our business that most employees probably don't know about, you know, their um, employer's finances and whatnot. But I think it's really important to have that transparency um, to have like real connection and understanding between people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and so you just gave an example of this, you know, potentially with the financial thing, but I've heard you self-describe your business as one that bucks traditional norms. And I would love for you to give us some other examples of what that means. I mean, I definitely think that there are things that I try to embody in my own personal business. Like, you know, even recently, I know you've done this also recently, but like I've really been pulling back on Instagram lately. Like I really been posting maybe like twice or three times a month instead of like twice or three times a week. I really haven't been on my stories as much. Like there's things like that where the traditional way of doing business is that you have to, you know, share your message a lot because it takes seven points of contact before someone's going to buy from you. And like all these typical things that you hear all the time in like traditional marketing. And my belief is just like, you know, if it feels right for me to sharing more publicly, I'll share more publicly. But then when it stops feeling right to do that, I'm going to stop doing that. And I have full trust and belief that like the right people are going to show up in my business um, at the right time. So like right now I'm 
um, signing clients for quarter two. So that's what starting in April. And I've barely been on Instagram. I've sent out really like one newsletter since the start of the year. And I'm already more than half booked out. And so it wasn't like I had to do all of the typical marketing things. It was just the right people were going to show up at the right time because partly because I have been here for so long and I have been sharing my message for so long that I don't have to be as present as often. And that is definitely a privilege that I have. Um, However, the fact that I'm listening to what feels right for me, I think is really indicative of the right people showing up. Because if I was on Instagram all the time and posting and it didn't, and I wasn't wanting to be there, I absolutely think it would come through in like whatever I was posting. Like, I I think that the people can read through the lines really easily. Like people are smarter than a lot of people are given credit for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that too, that it's like, we know what it feels like, even if we can't quite put our finger on it to be on the receiving end of content that someone like felt resentful making totally or like obligated to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I I feel exactly the same way. I mean, obviously, at the time of this recording, it's been what, like two months that I've been off my personal Instagram, which if I'm honest with you, like is something I never thought that I would do. I never thought that I would take a break that this long. And it felt very much like the right thing to do and probably should have done it a lot sooner and didn't because, you know, brain monkey reasons, but (laughs) it's, yeah, if it negatively impacts my business, I don't know that it would negatively impact it more than had I been kind of like phoning it in and not enjoying it. Totally. And it's funny because, you know, for so long, I was one of those people that was like, oh, well, once I hit like 10,000 followers on Instagram and, you you know, things are going to be easier or better or something like that. And then, um, you know, I had a, a big expansion when I did a program with my friend Lindsay and all of a sudden got like almost 2000 new followers in the course of like a month. And that was kind of around the same time that I was just like, and I don't want to be here anymore. Okay. Just kidding. (laughs) Isn't that funny when like the thing that you thought you wanted turns out to not actually be what you want necessarily. Yeah, it was great. Oh man. Um, the, one of the last things that I want to ask you, so obviously we've talked about, you know, healing in different capacities all throughout this conversation. When you think about the word healing or the practices of healing in your own, you know, like right now, early 2020 life, what does that look like? Do you feel like there are things that you're still like actively hoping to heal and work on? Or does it feel like something that's a little bit more in maintenance mode? I'm curious what your relationship is with the idea of healing right now. I love that question because it's funny. Um, Do you choose a word of the year at all? Is that something you do? I used to. And with both sort of like word of the words, you know, word selection or goals, I have really gone down to a quarterly model. I find that so much happens for me in a year that what I choose earlier on tends to not be resonant, like five, six, eight, you know, 12 months later. And so I mostly am thinking of my life in like three month chunks. So yes, but not for a full Interesting. year. Okay. I still do it. And it's maybe less of a, I kind of use it as like an anchor throughout my year to like bring me back um, as as the ebbs and flows happen. And like, yes, things absolutely change on a like more rapid pace than a yearly rate, but I use it kind of as an anchor. And it's funny because I was looking back in my journal through like the words of the year that I've chosen. I think I've done it for like five or six years now. And usually they really come true. Like, you know, one year I chose the word connection and that was the year that um, 
when I ended up being on all these like podcast interviews and really like connected internationally with like my community and all this stuff. Anyway, to this year, I was looking through that and I was like, interestingly enough, had never chosen the word healing as a word of the Hmm. year before. And it was the one that was coming up for me as like feeling really right this year. And so I chose it for my word of the year this year. So it's actually my anchor or my intention for this year to have a a greater focus on healing. Because I think for a long time, um, my idea of healing was very focused on like a physical healing or there were like much more specificity to that. And what I am really hoping to bring forward right now is the intention of healing in all areas of my life, all relationships in my life, all relationships within myself and all of the little Amy's and elder Amy's inside of me, you know, my relationship to my phone, my relationship to, you know, all these different things and just bringing the intention of healing into everything that I do and see how that transforms for me this year. Interesting. I love the idea of thinking of it maybe uh, like bigger than just, you know, like a specific physical healing. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that even though I have been doing breath work and I've been doing kind of more inner emotional work for the last handful of years, it's really taken me up until only maybe six months ago to get to the point where there was a level of safety and resiliency and trust in myself to really go to new places that I was never willing to go before. And so there is a lot of healing that did not feel accessible or that wasn't, it wasn't that it didn't feel accessible. It literally was not accessible before. Um, And I think that it, there is levels of access now because I'm willing to go places that I wasn't willing to go before. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. I, my sort of like point of resonance or relation to that is about sobriety that, you know, it, if I'm like really being honest, took, you know, five, maybe even six years uh, after the act of not ingesting alcohol anymore, right? Like, like the actual, like putting down of the drinking to gain enough emotional intelligence, self-trust, coping mechanisms, you know, therapy, different things to be able to touch some of the, why was I drinking so much to begin with? And things that I would have thought had, you know, I've been asked about some like hypothetical other person, like I would have thought that that happened much sooner, right? Like if someone would have told me when I quit drinking, like it's going to be five or six years until you like really get into the shit. Honestly, I'm glad I didn't know because I probably wouldn't have done it because that just seems like such a long time. And it's not that other levels of kind of healing or whatever didn't happen in that time period because of course they did but it wasn't until I had this like much stronger foundation in a lot of different ways that I was able to even like lift up those rocks and like peek underneath yeah and like imagine what will be even more aware like what awareness will come forward five years from now even yeah, no, I know. I was, it's it's funny, you know, everyone was doing this sort of like end of 2019, end of the decade, right? Reflection, which of course, like I am also subject to <laughs> doing that kind of stuff. And just like thinking back on so much of what happened in, in those years and like looking ahead at different milestones and like particularly thinking about sobriety and that, you know, come May of 2020, it'll be nine years, which to me feels like 
so like that's like an almost like inconceivable amount like I can't, it's so long and so much has happened in that period of time and yeah to your point of like what is still possible you know another you know three four or five nine years from now I feel excited about that yeah I mean that's this whole idea of things not being linear and not having their own timeline and things unraveling in the timeline that they're meant to or like in the timing that they're going to and it's pretty cool to think about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So before we start to wrap up, is there anything that we haven't gotten a chance to dig into yet in this conversation that you really want to mention or talk about? Hmm. No, it feels good. Okay. Well, so the way that we end these episodes are with a series of hopefully fun, rapid fire-ish questions that all three guests this month are going to be answering the same eight questions if you're down to answer eight totally random questions. Yeah. What's one thing that you're doing really well at lately? Basically, where in your life are you kicking ass that we can celebrate you? (laughs) I'm kicking ass with my morning routine. I am someone that does not love structure or like I love the idea of structure but then I'm also like a complete (laughs) rebel like if you do that Gretchen Rubin quiz or whatever um, the four tendencies I am a 100% rebel and so if someone tells me to do something I want to do it the exact opposite way and so even when I tell myself I want to do something I often want to like break my own rules and so um, I'm actually really proud that I've been doing a morning routine every day so far in January and I haven't broken it yet. And it feels really good and it feels supportive. And I've given myself enough flexibility to it that it doesn't feel constrictive. So like, even though it's the same, like three things, like make the tea, read the book, you know, write in the journal, light the candle, whatever. But it's like some days, maybe I only write a paragraph in my journal and some days I write 10 pages. And so that flexibility is what is key for me. How did you decide, sorry, like quick follow-up question. How did you decide which things to include in your morning routine? So I feel like this is something that comes up a lot for folks of like, you know, I want to have a better morning routine, but like don't really know what to choose. And obviously, you know, it's, it's going to be different oh, for yeah. different people, but I'm interested in sort of what your process was. Of like, these are the three things that I, I know make me feel good. Or I, I guess like, what was the criteria? It was the three things that I'm always like, oh, I wish I had time to do those things today. And so it's like, oh, well, if I actually do them first in the beginning of the day, then I'm going to have time for them because it's mm-hmm. going to be going to make time. Mm, I love it. What's your favorite thing to eat for breakfast? Oh, I eat the same thing for breakfast every day. Well, I don't really do breakfast, actually. I just like make a pot of tea. Um, and then it's like a pot of Earl Grey lavender tea. Seriously, Earl Grey and lavender together. Mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's Earl Grey lavender tea with some heavy cream in it. But then usually at like... 10 30 or 11 in the morning I have a bowl of congee with chicken and that's my breakfast it's like a really traditional Chinese medicine um healing porridge it's good yeah where is your focus over the next month what feels most important to you Mm. my focus over the next month has been being present with all of my clients, being present at my um, physical 
business, the acupuncture clinic with my business partner and getting a lot of kind of loose ends tied up because I take the month of March off and I go to California for the month of March. Um, I'm still like working a bit, especially with my online clients, um, but I'm not physically present in the clinic and I'm not physically present at my home. So like being present with my husband, being present with my business partner, being present with my employees and getting everything kind of like tied up loose ends so that I can actually enjoy myself and go hiking and do all the things that I love doing in California when it's cold in Minnesota. So maybe that's a separate conversation that we will have because I am also <laughs> working to build my business to take um, this year. I'm taking August off, potentially August and September. And there's like a lot that comes up around that of, OK, well, then if money is not coming in for me during those months, what does that mean for the other months? And I'm always interested in like how people make those choices. But I will put a pin in that <laughs> to talk about later. Um, what's one thing that you think people might be surprised to learn about you? Um, let's see. I used to be a synchronized swimmer. Ooh, okay. When I was like in junior high. Okay, okay. I don't know anything about synchronized swimming. (laughs) It's funny because I'm, um, you know, when we talk about like stories and the roles we play and like all the mindset that goes into it, it's funny because I was someone that historically was never, never considered myself an athlete. Like I always did the very, like, that's not even like non-athletic sports, but I guess um, the sports that, are traditionally in a more like feminine roles, even though gender is a construct. But so things like gymnastics and um, synchronized swimming and stuff like that. And I was never in more like team sports or stuff like that. And then um, when I got older, and I also like just didn't even enjoy doing them very much. I was I never saw myself as athletic. It was a story that I had where it's like, you have asthma, you can't run a mile, <laughs> you're not athletic, you whatever. And then when I got older, I really had to reframe those stories and be like, is that actually true? Or is that just something I'm telling myself? And when I was in grad school for acupuncture, I really needed a more assertive physical outlet for a lot of the stress that happens when you're in a graduate program of that caliber. And I ended up um, joining like a CrossFit gym and getting kind of into more like high intensity workouts. And I ended up actually doing um, powerlifting and like competing in like the state powerlifting championship and stuff here. And so it Um, I really had to change that story going from like, you're not an athlete to you're someone that actually like competes in powerlifting and can deadlift 400 pounds. I love that. I also love the point about like we can make the definition of something so narrow, right? Like in order to be an athlete, that has to look like maybe it's like this specific activity or being like talented in this way or training in this way or having this body type, right? Like we can make the constraints so narrow, which leaves out so many people, so many sports, so much athleticism and just being able to be like, oh, wait, what if I expand this and like I'm able to include myself in this narrative? How would things change? Totally. Mm-hmm. What's one thing that you've always wanted to do but haven't done yet? Hmm. Um, it's actually really <laughs> simple, but still haven't done it. There's a really wonderful, beautiful, not even all that challenging bike path or like bike route from here in Minneapolis into Wisconsin that like 
goes through like over this beautiful river and it's like something not even like a rite of passage but it's something that a lot of cyclists use they ride their bikes to to Hudson Wisconsin or to like Stillwater Minnesota and um every summer I'm like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna ride my bike to Wisconsin and it just never happens but maybe one of these summers it'll happen maybe what are a few things that you love to do like just for fun I like to play with my dog and go hiking. Um, we will often go down to some of the more um, like overgrown areas down by the Mississippi River and I'll let her off leash and watching her just like be a dog and be free and like be all wild, like a wild animal is really enjoyable. Um, and then also my husband and I like playing board games. So we'll play like Settlers of Catan or Carcassonne or things like that. I feel like I could totally get into some of those like more intense board games. They're <laughs> like, real fun. <laughs> I keep telling myself like I'm not someone who like enjoys game nights or enjoys that kind of stuff, but like the intricacies of what I have heard about some of those games actually sound very interesting to me. Yeah, they're really good. There's a lot of like strategy that comes into play. And when I stopped drinking myself, uh, it was a good way of being like, okay, well, if we're not going to the bar at night, like instead of just sitting in front of the TV, like what's something else we can do? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. The next question is about books. I know that you said that you are reading more in the mornings now, so maybe it can be some of those books, but which two or three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you find yourself recommending or rereading most often? Ooh. Um, well, the, I'll share the ones that I'm reading right now that I've been really into. So right now I've been really into reading about like fear, you know, kind of how we talked about before this idea that like befriending fear instead of trying to push it away or anything like that. Um, so there's a book by Mira Lee Patel um, called, I think it's called my friend fear or becoming friends with my fear something like that. Um, I just read that one. Super great. Also reading a book by, um, right now by Amber Ray called, um, oh, what is it called? Wonder Over Worry, I think is what it's called. And mm -hmm. that one's been really great too. Part of like my morning practice um, that I was just talking about before with the reading has also been that I have like a notebook beside me and I'll, anything that kind of sparks my interest or that I want to like journal about later or um, just quote to have and like remember instead of, because a lot of these books are library books and so I can't just like dog ear them and keep them. And so I'm actually like writing down the page number and then writing down a quote and then maybe journaling a little bit about like what that inspired in me. And um, it's funny because I've been doing this for a little while, but those two books have taken up the most space in that journal because there's so <laughs> many quotes in them that I'm like, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> that's how you know that you've hit on something that's like uh, really relevant to your life right now. It's like, oh, okay, I keep going back to this. I keep writing about this. Totally. <laughs> um, so the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? Mm. <sighs> I guess uh, my invitation would be the next time they're feeling an emotion rise up in their body that they want to push down by maybe picking up the phone or taking out a cigarette or like whatever thing that they want to do to ignore that emotion to just put their hand on their heart and just take a couple breaths and to name whatever is coming up for them and just be like, I hear you, I see you, and then see how that might shift things for them. 
Mm, I love that. What's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? I know you mentioned not being on Instagram as much. <laughs> um, where should people find you? Um, well, I am still on Instagram, so it is still a good place to find me, even though I'm not there as often as normal. So you can find me at Amy Koretsky. Otherwise, on my website, it's amykoretsky.com. Um, and like you had mentioned, I have that free breathwork five-day course. It's geared more towards people who are their own business owners. However, um, if you're just wanting to try out breathwork and see what it's about, you can absolutely still take it and just kind of shift the prompts to be a little less business oriented and a little bit more personal oriented. And that can be pretty simple to do. Yeah. Um, as someone who has gone through that, I think that would be like very easy for folks to do. Yeah. I cool. love that. I will put links to all that in the show notes. Amy, thank you so much. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he just makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could. You can find him and his music and his awesome sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Iris. Hi, Iris. Hi, Nicole. So we're going to do a round of hopefully fun uh, uh, rapid-fire questions, if you're ready. I'm ready. What feels particularly important to you so far this year? Where are you focusing your resources? I'm mostly focusing my resources in kind of giving myself structure again in my life. I think there are times where I really crave a lot of um, space and a lot of like loose flexibility. And right now I'm in a space of craving a little more discipline and structure, kind of like giving myself a container that I can, you know, work within. Yeah, I like that. I go through kind of that ping pong too of like times where I'm like rebel against all structure and then times when structure is like exactly what I need. And I've talked about this a lot, the idea of like discipline is self-love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes that love really is, I think, giving ourselves this opportunity to step back and to give ourselves a lot of just softness and grace. But then sometimes I think it's kind of like that challenge and being like, you know, you, you can do this. You know, it's, it's kind of like the love of um, sometimes giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt. And other times I think really being like, you have this, like, I believe in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. What's something that's been feeling a little challenging for you lately? Um, I am living in the Pacific Northwest for my first winter and coming from Colorado where it's super sunny. It's really, it's really different. Um, I've loved not having snow so I can get out and hike, but, um, having a lot of darkness and a lot of rain has been pretty difficult on my health for the last several months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, also in the Pacific Northwest, I can totally relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing just for fun these days? Oh, just for fun. Um, I'm reading. Um, I've just been, I don't know why, but over the last couple of years, I stopped reading quite as many books. Um, and lately I've just been 
I finally got a library card in this new place where I'm living. And so I have just been devouring book after book after book. I think I'm, you know, on my eighth book for the year at the beginning of February. And that's, um, that's a lot for me. So it feels, it feels really good just to have that for myself. Well, that's perfect for the next question. I was going to ask if you can share a recommendation for something that you have loved recently, like a book, podcast, TV show, movie, anything. Oh, so, uh, book wise, it's been kind of nice to go between something that's like a little more fluffy and then something that's a little more, um, I don't know, serious. So one book that I would really recommend, uh, and I, I think I'm a little late to this, but, um, it's where the crawdads sing. Um, that was, that was really excellent book. And then in terms of TV shows, last night I saw the first couple episodes of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I think that's what it's called. So good. Yeah. Ah, So good. I'm so excited about it. Yeah. I, only watched the first season though, I think. I know that it has gone on quite a bit since then, but I really loved the first season. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to dig in. It's always nice to have a new show to look forward to and binge in two days. Totally agree. Um, what's one topic that you'd love to hear more open and honest conversation about on the podcast this year? Um, I mean, I I love that you already cover this in so many different ways, but I'm always really considering the ways that we can redefine relationships for ourselves um, and really, I think, consider this idea of relationship hierarchy in terms of what's actually most important for all of us. Um, because, you know, for some of us, for some of us, it might be that our most important person is, um, kind of like this one, um, one person who we're romantically involved with, we're sexually involved with, we're potentially living with. But I'm also just thinking about the ways in which they're kind of like those unsung hero relationships that we have, um, friendships in particular, but then also thinking about like, you know, what are the ways that we can really love on our people? And it doesn't necessarily look like it's just us and one person pairing off and that's the end of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously a topic that I'm super interested in. So yes, (laughs) would love to continue talking about that. Um, So you are a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you have made a small and powerful reoccurring per episode pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show. And I would love if you could share why you decided to support the show. Yeah. So this is my second outro. So I've, um, I've said this before, but we've kind of been in these same, um, circles for a number of years. And, uh, I've actually gotten so much out of kind of being along the periphery of your life and, you know, you kind of like living out your personal life online. And it's one of those things that showed me essentially, oh, this is possible for, a quote unquote normal person, you know, to, uh, create their own business and, uh, you know, have it be something that's relatively sustainable and, you know, to make a change, uh, before knowing you, I didn't know really that it was possible to, I don't know, have such a, 
have choice in your life, essentially, which is weird to say, but I think we sort of default in that direction. And it's one of those things that, you know, I don't know that giving a little bit of money each month really even is the full exchange of what I've gotten from your work. But um, it felt important to give something kind of like as a token for what I've gotten from it. Mm, I love that. Thank you. Do you want to share um, where you live and maybe a social media link in case people want to say hi? Yeah. Um, so I live in Bellingham, Washington, and uh, my Instagram handle is iris underscore Rankin. Super easy. I love it. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want lots of bonus content, plus other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $1 or more per episode. Your support is what allows the show to continue, and it'll be a lot of fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.